and, uh, and we'll be together in the book of uh, Joshua, Joshua chapter 5 um, this morning. Let me ask you a question this morning. Uh, how do you prepare to meet your competition? Or how do you prepare to meet the challenges, struggles, and the battles that you will inevitably face during the day and in your life? This morning, as we will look in Joshua chapter 5, we're going to see how Israel prepared for the battles that were in front of them. If you have not yet found your way over to Joshua 5, I encourage you to do so. Um, I hope you bring a copy of God's Word with you every Sunday. Uh, For the Word of God is our guide. It's the book that we're going to follow. It's on the pages of Scripture that we meet and encounter the living God and His will and himself, his ways are revealed to us on the pages of scripture and so I encourage you to bring God's word with you every Sunday. One of the things that God has been showing me this year is that so much of what happens in the physical realm is a result of what takes place in the spiritual realm. What we see happening before our eyes is oftentimes the result of what is happening in the unseen spiritual realm. Uh, During the month of January, when I was preparing the messages for our study on seeking the Lord, I was struck by what the scripture said over in various places. There are a number of different times where we read that what the nations of Israel and Judah experienced in, uh, experienced was many times they would experience political disturbance and military oppression. And the result was because they had forsaken the Lord. And even... This week, as I was reflecting back on that, could it not be that what we find ourselves experiencing in this world and in our nation and even in our lives is the result of the same cause, that we have forsaken the Lord to some degree? What they experienced in their day-to-day life was the result of what happened in their spiritual lives. And too often, I wonder if we as Christians, we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, live and operate in a two-tier world. By that I mean is this. There's the world of our senses, what we can see, taste, smell, touch, hear. The world of the senses, this is the world of reality. And then there is the unseen world of the spiritual, the world of God, the, the world of spirit beings. This is the world of religion, Why is, whereas this is the world of reality. In our thinking, oftentimes we equate the unseen world with the afterlife, what is to come after this life. Whereas the seen world, this is reality. This is what we face day to day. This is what is most important right now. And as a result, we fail to understand And see how this spiritual realm affects the physical realm. How spiritual realities affect physical realities. And so I come back to the question, how do you prepare for the challenges, struggles, and the battles of this life? In Joshua 5, the nation of Israel has just crossed over the overflowing, fast-moving, flooded Jordan River. In front of them is the fortified city of Jericho. This nation of Israel is now hemmed in. They can't go back because the river is too uh, overflowing. And in front of them is a fortified city. What would they do? Verse 1 tells us that Canaan, 
We're going to see in a moment here that the whole land of Canaan is trembling with fear. Their hearts have melted. Their courage has left them. What should they do? What should Joshua do? What would you do? Militarily, you have the tactical advantage. The choice is obvious. Strike fast. Or maybe the, the choice might be, well, let's fortify our positions and then strike. But that's not what Joshua did. What we find in Joshua chapter 5 is that God takes time to prepare his people spiritually for the physical realities, the physical challenges that would lay in front of them as they began to take possession of the land that God was giving to them. And the truth that I want, to see this, want, want you to see this morning is this, is that if we're going to live successfully in life, we must be prepared spiritually. To live successfully, we must be prepared spiritually. You say, what, what, where do you get that, Kevin, from Scripture? Well, to live successfully. Do you, do you remember what God said to Joshua when he commissioned him to begin to lead the nation of Israel after Moses' death? Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, do you remember that? <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad one of our elders did. <laughs> um, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, right? But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do some of the things that are written in it. I just want to make sure. Yeah, you guys got it. That you may do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And so when we talk about living successfully, I'm not talking about how to live affluently. I'm not talking about how to have a bigger house and drive a nicer car. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am saying is this, if we're going to live successfully, we need to learn how to live life God's way. And so successful living depends on spiritual faithfulness. Joshua chapter 6, the city of Jericho is in front of them. But before those walls would come down, that's the material, physical reality the people of God needed to be prepared spiritually. That's Joshua 5. And so let's read God's word this morning. We're going to read all 15 verses. Then we'll try to establish this point here. Or allow this point to be established from the scriptures rather. And then we're going to make some application along the way. Alright, here we go. Joshua chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. We'll read down all 15 verses. Now when all, when all the Amorite kings... West of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they crossed over. Their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. So this verse 1 is really a transitional verse. It's, it's summing up the things that Joshua, uh, Joshua, that Drew uh, showed us last Sunday from the scriptures, right? And, uh, and so those two kings, the kings of the Amorites, the kings of the Canaanites, those are, it's a summary of all the, all the, of, all the kings of, those, of that region of the world. It, it captures all of them and it says that they, their, their hearts were melting in fear. They no longer had courage uh, to face the Israelites. Verse 2, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, you think, okay, here's the battle plan, right? Listen to God's battle plan. Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. You say, say what? So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. 
All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of the military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. And all the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people who born, born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. And the Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men of military age, when they left Egypt, had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these are the ones that Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. And on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal, on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. Look at verse 12. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of, the, of Canaan. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua said to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But, I, uh, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come now. I have now come. Then Joshua fell down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. All right? Let's take a look at what the scriptures have to say to us uh, this morning in this, in the, from this passage, right? So the point, to live successfully, we must be prepared spiritually. How did the Israelites prepare for the physical realities that were lying in front of them? Well, number one, if you're going to live successfully, you must be set apart to the Lord. You must be set apart unto the Lord. We see this in the first nine verses of the text. The whole area of, the whole account there of the circumcision, when they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, the first thing that God required of his people is that Joshua would circumcise all the males. Now, to us, if this is the first time we're reading the story, we would probably scratch our heads and say, say, what? what? What's going on here? Why would you do that? This seems so bizarre. You're going to incapacitate all of the fighting men when the battle's about to commence? Why circumcision? Why this? Well, as we understand what the point, of, what the purpose and the point, the significance of circumcision is. Circumcision goes all the way back to the life of Abraham in Genesis. When God called, when God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, you remember what God promised him? He said, I'm going to give to you a land. I'm going to give to you descendants. Later on in Genesis chapter 15, he said, your descendants are going to outnumber the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. And... I'm going to bless the whole world through you, Abraham, that the Savior is going to come through you. And in Genesis chapter 15, that was Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, God cut a covenant with Abraham. It was a unilateral covenant. It wasn't a covenant that Abraham made with God, but God made with Abraham. And God was saying, in essence, when he cut that covenant with Abraham, he says, Abraham, if I do not do these things for you, 
give you a land, give you posterity, and bring a savior through you, then I'll not be God. And Genesis chapter 17, God gave to Abraham the sign of the covenant, and that sign of the covenant was that the people of God, all the males of the people of God were to be circumcised. And so circumcision became the mark of people who belonged to him. But as always, the physical reality, the, the circumcision, was a symbol of an inward reality. And so almost 500 years later, Moses spoke about the significance of circumcision. And he would say this, that it is not the flesh not only the flesh that needed to be cut away, it was the heart that needed to be devoted. It was the heart that needed to be circumcised to God. Turn back with me to the book before Joshua. Joshua chapter 10. So we're, yeah, Joshua chapter 10. Not Joshua, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, turn with me over there. I want to look at some verses here. Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 12 through uh, 17, but um, really want us to see verse 16, but 12 through 17 help us understand the significance of what is being said there. Moses here now is preparing that generation that's going to go into the promised land. And he's speaking to them and he says, Now Israel, verse 12, Now Israel, what does the Lord ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees, decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God, now listen to this statement about who God is. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Now notice what it says. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Now notice what he says, verse 16. Circumcise your hearts therefore and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Why? For the Lord your God is God of gods the Lord of, and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. You hear what Moses was saying to this generation that has now crossed over to the promised land? He was saying, do not be stiff-necked any longer. Do not be like your parents who 38 years prior to this when they were standing at the threshold of the promised land, refused to go in because of unbelief and disobedience. And he was saying, cut away the unbelief from your heart. Cut away the disobedience that's in your heart. Cut away the rebellion that is in your heart. A few chapters later, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses would again address the issue of the circumcision of the heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, Moses said, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. And what God is, is looking at is not the cutting away of the flesh, but he wants to make sure that our hearts are devoted to him. That's what God is looking for. That is what God is looking at. And for the nation of Israel, as they entered into the promised land, they needed to know who they were and they needed to know whose they were, that they belonged to God. You say, well, what about us who are living in the New Testament era? Well, the Apostle Paul, he picks up this whole idea of, of 
uh, circumcision and the number of his epistles. But now physical circumcision is not what is required, but it is the circumcision of the heart. Uh, turn with me over to Colossians chapter 2. I think I may have this, the verses on the screen. Colossians chapter 2. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Listen to what Paul wrote. He says, in him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. What happens when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You hear, you hear what the scripture is saying? God is saying this, is that as salvation, that is that when you turn from your sin, you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you were made new. The old man, the flesh, was put to death, and you are now alive in Christ. Your sin has been nailed to the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your old way of living has been put to death. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, if that is true, if my flesh has been put to death on the cross with Jesus Christ, why do I struggle with the flesh so much? If I've been made new, why do I keep on going back and doing the old things? And we need to understand what is the flesh for us and what, how do we deal with it? I have a friend, a pastor friend, who, who describes the flesh this way. The flesh is following long-established sinful habits. Isn't that good? Following long-established sinful habits. Some of us, we know what it's like to fight the flesh. Our tongues, our temper, our thoughts, our lusts, our malice, our bitterness. For some of us, our flesh is our emotions. We're hot-tempered. We say and do things that we regret or we find ourselves being down and despondent. For others, our flesh is our burning passion. It's our lust that rage within us. It's that click on the computer. It's the flirtations in the workplace. It's the emotional attachments that we begin to form with someone other than our spouse. For others, our flesh is represents our approach to life. I mean, you're able to take life as it comes. I mean, you, you face the circumstances and you take charge. You know how to get things done. You know how to make it happen. But you never stop to consider God or seek his will or, or rely upon him. It's the flesh. And having been spiritually circumcised in and by Christ, the Bible tells us that we are now to put to death the flesh in our daily deeds. And if we're gonna go forward, if we're gonna advance in the Christian life, like the Israelites, we need to be set apart. That is, we need to be devoted to the Lord. Before we move on to the Passover, I want us to just stop and notice verse nine. Look what it says in verse nine. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. 
He said, what is the reproach of Egypt? Well, I think the, there's a, several things that it, the reproach of Egypt can refer to. I think one, it refers to their slavery in Egypt. The, those years of, of slavery, that when they were enslaved in Egypt, that, that reproach has been, that has been lifted. God has brought them into the land that he has promised them. And that reproach has been removed from them. Their bondage to slavery has been lifted. The ridicule of the enemy has been rolled away. I, I think of Numbers chapter 14 when they failed to go into the promised land at Kadesh Barnea that generation prior to this. And the Egyptians were saying, well, God brought his people out of Egypt, but he wasn't able to take them into the promised land. They died in the wilderness. And God says that reproach, that ridicule has been lifted. It's the same thing that's true for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ. The reproach of Egypt, the, the bondage of slavery to the old way of living, the ridicule of the world around us has been rolled away because we're in Jesus Christ. And so this first sign, this first, before they could do anything in the promised land, they need to be circumcised. They need to bear the mark of the covenant that they belong to God. They need to know that the reproach of their past had been removed. Number two, if we're gonna live successfully, you must remember your dependence on the Lord. You must remember your dependence upon the Lord. Verse 10, it tells us that three days later, on the 14th day of the month, on the Christian calendar, this would be Easter weekend, Good Friday. What we're going to be observing in a few weeks. And before they moved any further into the promised land, the first thing that they did is they observed the Passover. Now for the nation of Israel, this would be the third time that they had observed the Passover, right? The first time was Exodus chapter 12 when God passed over the houses that had the blood applied to the doors and they were, they exited, their exodus out of Egypt happened that night. That was the first time. A year later, Numbers chapter nine, when they're at Mount Sinai and they had given, God had given to them the law and they had become established as a nation, um, they observed the Passover on the anniversary, on the first anniversary of their exodus out of Egypt. But now for 38 years, they have wandered through the wilderness and they have not observed the Passover. And their first time in the promised land, they observed that Passover. They participated in that. You say, what was the purpose of the Passover? Well, the purpose of the Passover was to remember and to retell what God had done in delivering his people out of Egypt. They were to remember the goodness of God in the first Passover in the promised land. A couple things that were happening there in this Passover. Uh, the Passover would, first of all, remind them that they had been redeemed by the blood uh, we see this in Exodus chapter 12, verses 26 and 27, when God instituted the Passover, and he said, remember that it was the blood that was applied to the door over the doors of your houses that the death angel passed over, and your life was spared, and you were set free from your bondage in Egypt. This is verses 10 and 11 of, of what we read here in Joshua chapter 5. They slaughtered the animal. They ate the meal. 
they remembered how they had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And notice what verse 12 said. Did you catch that in verse 12? What happened in verse 12? You guys see it? The manna stopped, right? Not only were they reminded that they had been redeemed by the blood, but they had, were also reminded in the Passover that they had been sustained by bread. Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, when they were in the wilderness, they cried out. They said, we want to go back to Egypt. We want the food of Egypt. And, and what did God do? God gave them manna from heaven every morning. And for 40 years, they were sustained by this bread that, that fell from the sky in the morning. And the Bible tells us in verse 12, when we got into the promised land, that what happened? The manna stopped. And they ate the produce of the land. What's the lesson? I think the lesson is this. That just as God had delivered and sustained them in the past, they were now to depend on God in the promised land. They were now to depend upon God as, in, as they entered into the promised land. They were to look back, they were to remember, but they were also to, their remembering was to uh, remind them to de continue to depend on the Lord. You say, why is it so important for you and I to look back on what God has done for us? Why is it important for you and I to look back on what God has done for us? I believe the pa Passover is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to go back as believers in the New Testament and we need to remember what Christ has done for us. Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were what? Sinners, Christ died for us. We need to remember that none of us can save ourselves right? We, the self-salvation plan never works, right? You and I need the blood of Jesus Christ applied over the sin of our lives. We need to remember what we have been saved from. In Luke chapter 7, when Jesus was here on this earth, he went into the home of Simon the Pharisee, and a woman who the Bible says was a notorious sinner came up to Jesus, and she began to wash his feet with um, with her tears and dry his feet with her hair. And the Pharisees, knowing who she was, hearing who Jesus claimed to be, began to grumble among themselves. If Jesus knew, if Jesus is the Son of God as he claims to be, then he would know what kind of woman it is that's touching him. And they had all the scorn in their voice and in their heart and in their minds. And what did Jesus say? The one who has been forgiven much loves much. The one who loves little has been forgiven, or one who has been forgiven little loves little. And some of us here this morning, our walk with God is growing cold and stale. Our worship of God has become routine and it feels dead. And you and I, we need to go back to the cross and we need to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. When the accuser comes to us and reminds us of our sin and our daily shortcomings, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to, what does it say? Complete it. But going back to the cross isn't just for our benefit, going back to the cross affects our relationships. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, 
The word of God says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When you and I forget what Jesus Christ has done for us, what do we do? We begin to become quick to judge. We hold on to our resentments and we refuse to forgive others. Why? Because we forget how Christ has forgiven us. Uh, Romans chapter 15 verse 7 Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. If we would just understand this verse and begin to treat one another this, with this verse, I believe this verse would address the racism and the, the, uh, the cliques and, and the way that we quarantine people off from our lives and we don't want others, we, we, we segregate people. This verse deals with the issues of our heart. It affects our marriage relationships. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 to 29. For the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ also, uh, just as Christ does the church. You see how Christ is the example for all of us in all areas of life. And so we need to go back to be strengthened for the journey ahead. Oh, we need Jesus Christ to save us from our sins in the past. We need Christ to strengthen us for today. Ultimately, we need Christ to see us home tomorrow, amen? How do we live successfully? You must be set apart to the Lord. You must, remember your da- your daily, you must remember daily your dependence upon the Lord. And number three, you must be submitted to the Lord. After Passover had ended, Joshua was the military commander, and he went out to survey Jericho. As of yet, Joshua doesn't have the battle plan. God's going to give that to him here. It, it's going to be implied in the text because we're going to see the battle plan unfold in Joshua chapter 6. But as of yet, he doesn't have the battle plan. And so Joshua uh, sees the fortified city in front of him, and so he begins to make a personal reconnaissance mission. And his question is, how would, would he lead these desert wanderers to take this fortified city that was in front of him? And suddenly, in front of Joshua stands this man with a sword drawn. And you can imagine the darkness of the night, and suddenly there's a man in front of you with a sword drawn, and maybe fear, maybe authority, maybe command. And Joshua sh- shouts out, who are you for? Are you for us or are you for them? Verse 14, neither, he replied. As the commander of the Lord's army, I have come. You say, who was this commander? This commander of the Lord's army that had come. Well, I believe in this case it is the Lord Jesus Christ in, in his pre-incarnate form, the, a, what theologians call a Christophany, Jesus Christ appearing in the flesh. And notice what he said to Joshua. 
He didn't say to Joshua, Joshua, I've come to take your side. He says, I've come to take command. And so many times we want the Lord Jesus Christ to take our side. We want him to be aligned with us when Christ has come to take charge. Joshua, recognizing that the commander had come and was in charge, he replies in verse 14, he says, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Isn't that a great response? What does my Lord have, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Do you see yourself this morning as a servant of the commander of the Lord of heaven armies? And the Lord said to him, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. You remember where else that happened in the Bible? Moses at the burning bush, right? Exodus chapter 3. And here's the lesson for us. If we're going to live successfully, if we're going to live God's way, we need to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it is only when we live in glad submission to Christ, to God's will, Reveal to us in his word that he can lift us up and lead us on. It's only as we live under the lordship of Christ that he can lift us up and lead us on. So many times we want God to be on our side. We want God to bless our plans. We want God to come through for us. When we're reminded here that we need to come under his lordship and make his priorities our priorities and his will our will. And we find this commander here standing in front of Joshua coming to take charge. There's one final thought that I want to leave with you and this thought is this. Wherever there's a forbidding Jericho, Right? A city that's been walled up. There's an experienced and undefeated commander. And you and I need to come under his lordship. And we need to follow him. So here we are today. Many times we talk about finishing well. Finish well. And we need to finish well. Right? How many lives the good that is accomplished in life, all of that has been lost because of a poor finish. And what I want to say to you this morning is this, not only must we finish well, it is equally important that we start well. You say, what do we do with this passage? Well, what if we began to look at this passage as a way to start our day. That each day we would start by devoting ourselves to the Lord and, de and, and dealing with that flesh and remembering and acknowledging our dependence upon the Lord this day and that we are to be submitted to him in all things and to follow his lordship over our lives. 
Would it make a difference in how we started our days? I think of our young people. You guys are transitioning from adolescence into adulthood. And how much heartache could be and grief could be spared if we learn to start right and start well by devoting yourself to the Lord and acknowledging your dependence upon Him and coming under the Lordship of Christ in your lives. And some here today, you need to come to Christ. And turning from your sin and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, this, this chapter gives us a pattern for how we begin our new life in Christ. Life devoted to Him, acknowledging our dependence upon Him, living under the Lordship of Christ.